Okay, this is the, the first of two times this morning here at everyone's church, and I'm talking about his coming salvation today. Uh, his coming salvation. You know, Jesus came. He came to reconcile us, to reconnect us to God as our Father, and to establish the mandate. The mandate is, what is our purpose on planet Earth? The mandate was given to man and woman, mankind, male and female, in Genesis chapter 1, when God said, be fruitful, multiply, fill, subdue, and have dominion. And when you're reading your Bible, you see very quickly that at the fall of man, the mandate was lost. And it was written in Genesis 9-1 after the flood as humanity was only able to be fruitful, multiply, and fill which is very much can be a natural thing. To have babies, to live a life, to try to be good, to try to do light things, good things, only to find that there's nothing new under the sun. That's right. And every generation That's ends right. up being the same, and so uh, you end up repeating and repeating and repeating. True. Now, Jesus came to give us back not only the ability to be fruitful, multiply, and fill naturally, but to be fruitful, multiply, and fill in our soul, and be fruitful, multiply, and fill in the spirit. But the other two issues that were lacking were restored, which is to subdue and to have dominion. Amen. Now, subduing and dominion is built right into humanity. Everybody has an inward knowing that you're supposed to subdue, but when you don't have a personal connection with God, you misunderstand what subduing is. And you define it as something that you conquer, that you take. And it becomes something of control or manipulation. True. But true subduing is to destroy death with life. Amen. Is to destroy darkness with light. To destroy sickness with healing. Amen. To destroy imprisonment with freedom. To bring life where there's death. To subdue. It's a supernatural thing. It's a testimony of grace. Grace is God's manifest presence that changes everything. Amen. It isn't just a theory. It's a reality. That's right. If you've been changed because of God in your life, you are experiencing grace. Yes. Mercy is what ends your old life. It says you're justified to be a candidate for grace. Mercy justifies you to live, but only grace empowers you to live. Yeah, All human beings are justified to live because of the blood of Jesus that was shed upon the cross. But only those who come to him and receive him are empowered to truly live. So, so to subdue is to destroy death with life. And I believe dominion is to crumble every lie with truth. Amen. Now, truth is not a judgment thing. Truth is a truth thing. <laughs> Jesus is truth. He is the life of God in body form. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and his truth, he crumbles every lie. That's why we say, Father, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because truth is how it is in heaven. Yes. We can look around us and we see things, they say, well, this is true, this is true, oh, this is true, this is true. Well, you know, we need to subject all things that we see naturally to what is true 
in heaven. Amen. Truth crumbles every lie. Even when it comes to you as an individual, you make a great you and a terrible someone else. So the devil wants to trick you to try to be someone else. Jesus came to give you your life. That's why he said, the spirit of the Lord's upon me. He's anointed me to preach really good news to those who are poor, destitute. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to open the prison doors to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, the day of vengeance of our God. That's kicked butt to the enemy. Hallelujah. And he says to give you beauty for ashes. What beauty? Hey, you, just, you traded your beauty for a lie. I've come to give you back your beauty. I've come to give you back your joy. You traded it for mourning. I've come to give you back your praise. You traded it for heaviness. So Jesus came to give us back our true identity. He said if we lose our life, we say it, save it. We lay it down, we find it. The objective was, was not to lose our life. The objective was not to lay our lives down. The objective was to save our lives, to pick them up. But that's impossible unless we let go of the lie. Amen. We have to lay our lives down. Amen. Now, the blood of the cross opened the door to find the light of the new covenant in the throne of grace. In Hebrews chapter 14, or chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, the context of Hebrews 4 is entering into this place of rest that was impossible in the old covenant. Was. The people in the Old Covenant never entered into the rest of God. If I'm going to give a high point or a highlight, a subtitle for 2020, 2021, I'm going to say it's a season where God has wanted you to discover Him resting in your life and you resting in His life. Yeah, that's good. Like so in a season when there's lots of noise... Lots of distractions. That's the true test of true rest. Because if you can rest when the world is not resting, you've discovered true rest. If you're easily shaken when the world is shaking, you have not discovered the place of rest. And God has anointed us, appointed us to be people who... Have him abiding in us and us abiding in him. So the context of Hebrews 4 is being the place of knowing the rest of God. Amen, that's right. I've talked about this before when I've been here. God doesn't rest because he's exhausted. <laughs> he rests because he's very satisfied. Yeah, that's good. And the very first day of mankind was the seventh day of God creating us. Seventh day of God dealing with our world. He existed before that, but he's, he's always been. But in our history, the history that we need to know about, the seventh day of that, whatever that is, was God resting with mankind. The first day of mankind on planet Earth was the seventh day of God being fully satisfied because mankind was on the Earth. And so Adam's first experience was paradise with God. I came to Christ in 1973 and my first day of paradise was Jesus resting in my heart. And I don't want to forget that. We sang some songs today about that. Let's not forget 
Let's return to that place of Him resting in our lives. So Hebrews 4, that's the context. So when we come to verse 14, seeing that we, then that we have a high priest who has passed through heavens, through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. He understands going through things like COVID. He understands going through things like people opposing us. He understands living in a troubled world. He understands living in a shaking world. He understands being tempted. But he was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin because he never went to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil as a human being. That's right. He lived in a personal connection with God as his father to the tree of life, became a part of the family tree of life, if you will, and always chose life. He was in the flesh the example of what God said to Moses when God told Moses, I put before you life and death, blessing and cursing, choose life. So the place of blessing is to choose life. Yeah. Don't choose blessing, choose life, you'll get blessing. That's right. If you choose death, you'll get cursed. Right. Don't choose death, choose life. Amen. Jesus is the embodiment of a human being who always chose life. When tempted, he chose life. When facing the cross, he chose life. That didn't mean escaping the cross. That meant being on the cross, but never choosing death. Being life on the cross. If you will, the tree of life willingly laid his life upon the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the cross, could not destroy the tree of life. That's right. Of which family we are grafted into. We are. Amen. We were born again into a family tree of life. That's right. So we have a high priest who can sympathize with us. He understands our weaknesses. He was tempted in every way that we are tempted. And by the way, being tempted is not a sin. That's right. That's right. Yielding to temptation is a transgression and it'll cause a disconnect. That's yeah. called sin. That's right. That's looking for love in the wrong place. That's let's not right. do that. That's let's right. be tempted, but then let's choose life. Amen. <laughs> Let us therefore, now here's the answer, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. Grace is the manifest presence of God in your life. Let's boldly come to the throne of his manifest presence of God for us in life. Amen. Let's boldly come to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy. Now mercy is a judgment that frees us from an administration of judgment. The judgment is right and wrong. There is a right. There is a wrong. Do you know what it is? Probably not. Probably me either. <laughs> it's definitely by the standards of what I would call right and wrong. It's wrong for an innocent man to die for the guilty. But God chose that it was right for an innocent man to die for the guilty. Yeah, come on. So if we measure our world by what is right and what is wrong, we're going to come up with wrong conclusion. It's actually in the heart of the Father, because of love, it's right 
to be misunderstood. It's right for us to be hated. Yes, it is. Now, we cannot judge those who hate us with the same standard that they measure us by. That's yeah. true. We have to judge them with the standard that Jesus measures us by. So what is that standard? Mercy. It's a judgment. All who live according to the knowledge of good and evil require a judgment, a consequence. The Father gave us an option of a different consequence than death. Jesus died once for us so that in Christ we die. Mercy now has triumphed over that judgment. And so there is a judgment that frees us. We boldly come today to the throne of his manifest presence and we receive mercy. And then we find grace to help in time of need. Find. Can you say that word? Find. Have you ever had to find something? You know, I'm, this is my 66th year on planet, and so uh, I find myself sometimes, it's kind of unusual, in, in the last couple of months, I, I, I've lost a couple of utility knives, I have stupid things, but you know, I'm constantly looking around, what do I need to find today? My wife just laughs, oh, what are you looking to find today? Yeah. And sometimes it takes me several weeks to find what I misplaced. Yeah. If I have to find something, it means I have to search for it. I have to look for it. Grace doesn't just happen. You have to find it. The manifest presence of God that changes us doesn't just happen. We have to find it. But we can because it's in the throne room of grace. If we choose to abide in him, if we choose to live with him, if we choose to invite him, to seek him, we will find the grace that helps us in our time of need. That's right. So, the blood of the cross opened the door for us to live from this place. Now, yeah. Jesus came to empower us to live our lives with Holy Spirit in us, upon us, and with us in all things. In John 14, what a great chapter. Uh, I've just posted on my podcast uh, some key messages, and I've been blogging on them. Uh, one of the messages that I preached in New Mexico was the space between. Between the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper in John 13, is John's account of it, and his arrest to be crucified in John 18, is John 14, 15, 16, and 17, which is a lot of reading. Yes, it is. But it was only a matter of a couple of hours of conversation. It's instruction that Jesus gave his disciples between the moment of the Last Supper and his arrest at the garden, which was only through the evening. And if you look at it, the elements that are in there are, I believe, the space between the Supper and the cross. He's giving key elements that are necessary for every space between. Because every good day seems to be followed by a bad day, and every bad day seems to be followed by a good day. You might be at a point in life where you're facing very good news today. Be excited, and hold on to that good news, because it's likely tomorrow you'll be facing some bad news. That's true. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine being in that room at that last supper when Jesus is implementing cup four of the meal as the cup of the new covenant, which is not the cup of the flesh, 
He called it the cup of the blood, but cup three in the supper is the cup of blood. Cup four is the cup of the spirit. The cup of halal, which means a type of praise that declares you legally insane by natural standards. Jesus declared the cup after supper as the cup of the new covenant. The cup before the supper was the cup of the blood of the Lamb. The cup after the supper was the cup of the Spirit because of the blood of the Lamb. Jesus called the cup after supper the blood of the new covenant. That's called grace. There's power in the blood, but let me tell you what the blood is. The blood is the blood of the cross made it possible for you to have the blood of his resurrection. Blood gives life to your body, heals your body, gives warfare to your body, nutrition to your body, oxygen to your body. What body are you? Are you the body of flesh or are you the body of Christ? If you're the body of Christ, then it's not the blood of the flesh that gives you life. The Bible does not teach that the life is in the blood. It says the life of the flesh is in the blood. But the life of the Christ in human, the life of the body of Christ, is not in the blood of the flesh. It's in the blood of the Spirit. The yes, new covenant right. is the cup after yes. supper. Thank God. We put too much emphasis on the other side of the cross and forgot that the blood of the cross is only found in the throne room. Because the high priest went in and has never come out. So if you want to access the blood of the cross, you have to lay your life down so that you can be raised from the dead, experience a judgment of sin that is called mercy. Now, mercy is available to every human being, but you have to boldly come and receive it. Amen. <laughs> I was just in my hometown, I told you, in Wisconsin, and I drove past the little place where I pulled off the side of the road in my 1964 Chevrolet on May 12, 1973, and I leaked out of my eyes, had snot out of my nose, leaked out of my heart, and I begged Jesus to come into my life. And then I also drove past the house, or where the house used to be that I lived in, it's been replaced by another house now. I drove past there where I woke up the next morning, and the angel of superglue had come and glued my mouth in a smiling position because it was obvious that I had found the life of the new covenant. I had found the blood of resurrection life. I had thought I lost my life, but in fact, I actually finally found it in Christ. So, John chapter 14 is some of his instructions. Let's look at verse 16. He says, I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper. Now, you have to pay attention to pronouns in Scripture. Pronouns, he, him, them. Okay, now, let me give you a, a point of view. There's no pronoun in Scripture that is you. When you read a Scripture that says, and I say to you, Holy Spirit might be talking to you right now, but that Scripture is not talking to you. Holy Spirit might use that Scripture to talk to you. But that scripture was not written as an instruction book to you. It was written as a witness to the voice of the Holy Spirit in your life. Yeah. It's not a how-to book. It's not a knowledge of good and evil book like the books of the world. That's right. It's a covenant book that's a testimony to the tree of life. It's meant to inspire your personal relationship with God so that you know when you hear God, 
Yeah. It doesn't violate the principles, patterns, and values that he is. So you should study your word a lot, but you don't study it as an instruction manual of what to do or not to do. You study it as a shadow through the voice that's empowering you to become. A relationship with scripture will not change you in a good way. It will actually change you in a bad way. It'll make you religious. It'll make you a killer. Ooh, let's throw out another statement. You always know, quote that verse, John 10, 10. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And we say the devil's a thief. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The, John 10, 10. I, the thief comes to kill, steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you might have life and life more abundant. If you read John 9 with John 10, you'll find that Jesus wasn't talking about Satan there. That's true. He was talking about the law. He said, all who came before me. Satan didn't come before Jesus. He's never come. He's never been sent of the Father to you. No, the law and the prophets were sent to you. But without Jesus, they're thieves and robbers. The law can only take from you. When you measure other people by law, you steal, you rob, and you kill. That's true. But when you measure them by love, you empower them to actually be changed. I'm saying some powerful things. I understand it's a little tough if we've prided ourselves or we... It's not that we're proud. It's not that we're stupid. Well, maybe it is that we're stupid, but not intentionally stupid. We, <laughs> we're, trying to, we're trying to figure it out. Problem is we approach God through a knowledge of good and evil paradigm instead of a tree of life paradigm. Now, the devil does steal, kill, and destroy. You could say, yeah, the devil's a thief. He steal, kill, and destroy. That's correct. But that's not a proper context of John 10.10. John 10.10 is Jesus is the one who gives life. The law could not do it. It only pointed to the one who could. So pronouns, pay attention to the story. If you understand what the story was about at that time, then you can understand what Holy Spirit is doing in your life at this time. Okay? So, John 14, he's saying to his friends, this applies to us also, but he says to his disciples in this room, they just had this supper. They just had the Lord's Supper. Okay? And actually Judas, the betrayer, has left the room. He's gone to make preparations to sell out Jesus. And Jesus says to now the other 11 that are in the room, he says, <coughs> Um, I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. With you, 11 disciples. Which is also going to apply to everybody in this room. But he's talking to them right there. If You can understand this. There's one new covenant human being in the room. There's one man of grace in the room. There's one man who's empowered by the manifest presence of God in his life. His name is Jesus. Everybody else in the room, it's a small cluster, 11 guys, they're empowered by the man of grace who's in the room with them. They're different than their neighbors because the man who's full of the manifest presence of God is with them and they decided to follow him. Now, this is not the pattern that God has for believers. Amen. This is the door of invitation so that you can be a believer. Yeah. The next part of the verse says this. 
He says, but you know him, for he dwells with you. Now, let me go back. I will pray the Father, and he'll give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him or knows him. Now, he's telling them, I'm going to give you a helper that the world cannot see, and they don't know. He's not telling them, when I give you this helper that the world cannot see and doesn't know, make sure that you shame and condemn the world for not seeing him and knowing him. That's not what he's saying. He's really saying, understand that I'm giving you a helper that the world doesn't know. They can't see him. How can I judge somebody negatively who cannot see or know somebody? Can I expect them to understand they can't see him or know him? No, I have to become a beacon of light that invites them to come to the place where they too can see him and know him. Amen. The purpose of the church is not to shame or condemn a world who cannot see or know him. The purpose of human beings who live from the throne room of grace is not to shame or condemn the world who cannot see or know him. Ooh, let me go a little farther with this. The purpose of the church, the purpose of human beings who live from the throne of grace is not to watch the daily news so that they can shame and condemn those who do not see or know him. Their purpose is to live in the throne room where there's a different news than the daily news. There's a truth that changes everything and then they shine as a light in the midst of the confused news. So that they can free them. For God so loved the world that he did not come to condemn the world, but he came that those who the, might believe in him. They're already condemned. They need to be uncondemned. <laughs> they too need to come to the place where they can reach out and receive a judgment that frees them from the knowledge of good and evil. Mercy! So that then they can look around and find grace the empowerment of God's presence in their life. Amen. John 14. I'll pray the Father. He'll give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. But you know him, my disciples, for he dwells with you. Now, how does the spirit of truth dwell with these disciples? He dwells with them because there's one new covenant man in the room of old covenant men. And they know him because there's a new covenant man dwelling with them. Could you be somebody in your neighborhood that dwells with your neighbors? Is it possible that your neighbors could see something a little different in their neighborhood because you are the presence of Jesus with skin on, you dwell with them? Which is not the ultimate goal. That's right. Because dwelling with them is not enough to change them. Right. The disciples that are with Jesus at this point in time are going to deny him, hide from him, and lose all hope. It's true. Because the best that's the best you can do when God is with you. But God was with them in a way that was going to demonstrate something more. I'm going to read this again. 
I'll pray the Father, he'll give you another helper, he will abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him, my disciples, for he dwells with you, and will be in you. I'll not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I will come to you. Jesus says to his friends, I will come to you. Now, how was he going to come to them? He was going to come to them in the form of Holy Spirit in them who comes in the name of Jesus. He was going to come to them by them becoming, becoming new covenant men. Increasingly being filled with grace and truth as Jesus, the Son of Man, Son of God, was a man full of grace and truth. So Jesus was saying, I'm making a way for me not only to be with you in the room, but to be in you as you being the room. He says in another place, in Luke 24, verse 49, he says, I'm going to pray, the promise is going to come, and he'll be upon you. So now I want you to think of this, God in you, God upon you, and God with you. That's what makes you a new covenant human being. God is in you. God is upon you. And how is he upon you? What's in you is so in you to overflowing, it floods over and submerges you. You become clothed in this testimony of Christ that's in you. And then not only that, God is still also with you. So in essence, Jesus becomes the one who's in you. And in essence, because of Jesus, the Spirit of God becomes someone that you are actually clothed in. And because you're clothed in the Spirit of God, you also become someone that is in partnership with God as your Father. And you're demonstrating what it is to be a human being who knows the one who gives life, he gives breath, he gives all things. Jesus goes in this chapter to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Which is these three things. God in you is the key to the way. God upon you is the testimony of the truth. And God with you is the testimony of life. God has come that we might be a dwelling place of his presence. Jesus was making it known to his friends in an old covenant time that the new covenant time was at hand and that from then on things would be different. So Jesus came to empower us to live our lives with Holy Spirit in us upon us and with us in all things. What is God saying to us right now in 2021? I'm going to tell you, if you're looking for the year to end in greatness of goodness, I don't think the tough things are over. Now, I'd be happy if they are, but I don't sense that. I actually sense some things are going to get tougher. Mm -hmm. But they don't have to be tougher for us if we are people who know in the midst of hard things 
God is the one who is in us, he's upon us, and he's with us. How are we going to get through the rest of this year into the next season? Well, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. It's not my way, it's the Jesus way. Now that doesn't mean look at Jesus and copy him. No, it means become like he was. See, Jesus was a man, but he lived every day of his life with God in him, upon him, and with him. In this chapter 14, he testifies it of this. He said, he said, I'll show you the Father. He said, I've shown you the Father. Philip said, I show us the Father, it'll be enough. Have I been with you this long, Philip? And you don't realize if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That's true. God wants us to be people that can be said, if I've seen Tim, I've seen the Father. If I see Shana, I've seen Jesus. Amen. He wants us to be people that are light and salt in our world. Amen. Okay? Not copying the Jesus way, but to be. Amen. Know that he is the way. Now, he wants to abide in us. He wants us to abide in him. So he comes to us when we come to him. We boldly come to the throne of grace, where we receive mercy, which justifies us to find grace. <laughs> and we find grace. We're not just waiting for Jesus to return. So I'm going to close this off with a verse that I'm going to challenge you in Hebrews chapter 9 about what is our focus because when we get into hard times one of the things that I hear coming from the church that I do not believe comes from the throne of grace is a judgment of the world and a calling for Jesus to take us out of this world okay so now I'm going to read you the one verse in the entire scripture that talks about second coming of Jesus I'm not talking about the subtitles that are added in there to explain to you the second coming, of which many of those are not about the second coming. I'm talking the one place where it's talked about, okay? In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, now chapter 9 is talking about, he's talking about, he, 10 leads into being the body of Christ. He came so that we could be part of the body of Christ. Okay, it's appointed for men to die once, for after this, the judgment. Did you die? No. Yes, I did. Well, spiritually, right? In Christ, I died. Amen. So the life that I now live, I live by faith in Christ. Now, what judgment did I receive? Mercy. Now, everybody could have that, but if you don't come to the throne and receive judgment of mercy... You're going to end up before a white throne, and you're going to be measured by your works. True. Now, that, that white throne, according to Revelation, is a throne for the dead and the sea. Jesus defined the dead as the Pharisees. He defined the dead not as Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, whom the Sadducees thought were dead. He defined those people as the living. That's right. That's right. I'm not going before a throne that is the judgment of the dead. Amen. 
And also the judgment of the sea, which is the world. True. The sea is a symbolism of the world. It is. Okay. Now, I don't want to wait for that throne. I want to boldly come to a throne where there's a judgment for me. And that judgment is a judgment of sin. It's a judgment of, of it's appointed once for us to have a judgment of death. Our judgment is mercy. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many to those who eagerly wait for him. He will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. Now, we know we're looking for a day. We want that, what? The second coming of Jesus. We look for the second coming of Jesus. Okay? Now, one coming is for judgment, the first one. The second one is for salvation. If you don't receive the coming of him in your life right now for judgment, then you're appointed to die and face a judgment throne. But if you come boldly to a throne where you can be judged for sin, your sin, yes. old life is judged, mercy! Now you can boldly find his coming. The word coming there is a constant coming. It's not just an event in the That's future. Right. Now, one of the things I see in tough times is we tend to say, oh, get ready. This is the sign of the end. You know, last days have been going on for 2,000 years. Mine got over a long time ago. May 12, 1973 was my last day. And then I found eternal life in Christ. So that once at the end of the ages, he might appear. You know, that happened 2,000 years ago. The end of the ages happened 2,000 years ago. Well, we're living in the, we're, we're approaching the end times. For goodness sakes, we've been in end times for a long time. And the end times is only so that you can get in eternal time and be children of the day and not night. Yes. We live in a place where a day is a 1,000 years, which is actually a, Hyperbole, hyperbolic metaphor for ever. Forever. He owns the cattle on what? A thousand hills. All the cows. He's God for a thousand generations. All the cows. Remember, with the Lord of days, it's a thousand years. You're children of the day. You're part of a day that even if you physically die, doesn't end. Amen. Amen. And guess what? There's a first death and there's a second death. Because you've experienced your death in Christ... The second death has no power over you. That's right. Amen. Hallelujah. So, concluding this by saying, we need to be people who live for his coming of salvation today. He comes a second time. He's the last Adam. The second time is the eternal time of his continual coming in our life. Matter of fact, Revelation, when it says the spirit of the bride say come, it also includes let him who's thirsty come. It isn't about the end of everything. It's about the end of you and the beginning of you in Christ. I've got news for you. I'm already joined to my husband. Amen. Yes. I'm part of the Proverbs 31 woman. I, I'm the babe of Christ. I, I, I'm dealing in the real estate of the earth on behalf of my husband who sits in the gate. Jesus sits in the gate. So, to simplify this, he's made a way for him to be in us, upon us, and with us, so that in whatever place we find ourselves in life, we can be people who boldly come before the throne of grace to receive mercy, a judgment that declares we die. Man, that's good.
And the life that we now live, we live by faith in Christ. So now, fix your eyes and look today for something of his salvation to come into your life. Something of his second coming. If you didn't experience the first coming in this world, then it's going to be a different story. But if you've experienced his first coming into your life, you are people of his second coming. Which is for what? Salvation. Not people who are waiting for who eagerly wait now. These words were not written to people 2,000 years ago to be irrelevant in their time. Wasn't for the smart people in the future. It was for believers in Christ. So I'm not saying there's not a second coming. I'm saying the second coming is more than meets the eye. That's true. I'm saying there's a coming for salvation, a coming for deliverance, for healing, for saving, yeah. that comes into our lives every day. Every day. So God, we boldly come to the throne of grace today. And we're not coming because of our own righteousness. We're coming because of the righteousness of Jesus. And we receive this judgment that you made for us. We greatly appreciate your mercy. We did not deserve this, but you justified us to live because of the judgment that you made for us. So we receive your mercy. Now, we look to find the grace that comes. Of you coming into our lives. You didn't leave us orphans. You made it so that where we are, you are. Where you are, we are. You said in your Father's house there's many dwelling places. Not just the dwelling place of Jesus, but many dwelling places. So Father, anoint us to be people who have God in us, upon us, and with us for such a day as this. You are the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus. Amen. 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 God bless. Amen. 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 That's good.